We will be reading from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Do soldier in active service. No soldier in active service entangles uh, himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory." It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also endure with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. We just had a little... uh celebration for veterans, you know, and it doesn't take much imagination to know that they endured hardship. It starts with training. The deprivation, the physical demands, the elements, mosquitoes, critters of all kinds, I think of these boys in Iraq sleeping in 110 degree weather in sandstorms underneath a tank. Hardship. And there's the hardship of separation from family, perhaps even a spouse or child. There's the separation from everything familiar and what we love. There's the challenges ethically and morally that come to us and what's done, and the horrors of war, and the challenges of peacetime. There is unimaginable waste in war. And some of our vets have witnessed it firsthand. Enduring hardship is what the soldier does. And the soldier who endures best and gets through it and survives is the soldier who comes out on the other side. Endurance is important. Making it is important. Living is not winning, but it's close. Even scripture recognizes that. I think of an election, two years in the making. We have been watching candidates fight it out for two years. 
inner party, intra party, and extra party. We've we've witnessed history take place this last week. Few of you are thrilled, many of you are terrified. Wherever you stand, it doesn't matter. Two candidates endured. If you can imagine the character it takes, the many attempts to assassinate that character in the course of these struggles, the fact that we all make terrible mistakes of judgment at times and say things that we regret, only for these people they're made public and universal. The fact that We might have a discussion with somebody on a bus or at work about politics, but they're having a debate in front of a nation. It gets played back over and over and over again in little sound bites and loops and with pundits and commentators doing their best and their worst with it. Two men endured. One will be president of the United States. And America benefited from these two warriors, as it were, of politics, battling ideas, sharing concepts, working with people and affiliations, networking, raising funds. It happened. Two endured to the end, and America decided... It's been a big week. It's been a big week. Scripture gives us three things here in Timothy that we need to look at in terms of analogies of what's going on. So I am at 2 Timothy 2, where our reading was today. And I want to just draw some conclusions from Scripture. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Verse 3. Number 1. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Now, there is not a whole lot, per se, about the relationship of soldiers to commanding officers or governments in Scripture. But there are plenty of stories of war. And there are plenty of stories of fighting men trained to take on particular challenges. Plenty of stories of the sieges of cities, the scattering and enslaving of peoples. Plenty of stories of bloodshed and hardship. And about the time of Christ, it was the Romans who ruled the world. And in the New Testament, we do have a number of stories surrounding soldiers there. And I think this saying proves to be correct not involved in the day-to-day civilian life. They're interested in pleasing their commanding officers. And yet along the way, they say some very interesting things. I think of one Roman soldier who said, 
at a momentous point in time. Surely this was the Son of God. That's a pretty momentous moment. It's better than that that bronze of Iwo Jima with the flag going into the ground. It's, It's even better than that. Surely this was the Son of the living God. What a marker. What a moment in time for a soldier. Someone who had been part of an execution process, which in fact was political. Someone who was furthering the goals of the Roman Empire by stamping out what was deemed, oh, to be competition, I suppose, for lack of a better word. Insurrection. Jesus, the king of the Jews, The Jews don't have any king. They're a subordinated people. Their king is Caesar. Surely this was the son of the living God. I think of Cornelius. Chosen for a unique moment in time to open up the Gentile mission. Here Jesus is largely with Jews for Jews. He makes some contacts outside of that context, but his ministry is largely focused in Judea, in Israel. We see Paul expanding that mission, but not until Peter has had a vision. Not until Peter has gone to the house of a Gentile and eaten food. Not until a a delegation and Cornelius attend to another place, not their home. What God has declared clean, let no one declare unclean. For he shows favoritism to none. And so the Gentile mission is opened up. And a centurion, a Roman centurion, is a big part of the picture. I think of another soldier who came to Jesus, a Roman also, an important Roman soldier, had a very ill servant, but someone he loved and trusted. And the assumption was that Jesus would go with him, but he says something very interesting. He says, I want you to command the disease to leave, because I know how it works. When I say to one of my soldiers, go, he goes. And when I say, come, he comes. And when I say, do this, he does this. And when I say, do that, he does that. All you need to do is speak. And Jesus' response, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus' response is, what? I have never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Spoken like a soldier. Very clear understanding of the chain of command. And in this universe in which we live, who is the big boss in the chain of command? God. God is in control of this universe. It is his domain and Christ with him. And when he speaks and sends forth an order, it is obeyed. The disease leaves the servant. The sickness leaves the servant that very hour. 
No, 2 Timothy reminds us, exhorts us, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ. Verse 5, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Another opportunity to talk about things. wanted to thank all of you who volunteered for our marathon outreach this last Sunday. How many of you were there? Okay, good. Wasn't that a lot of fun? Just for future reference, all of you, we are on mile two. There are 26.2 miles in a marathon. So, almost everybody can get to mile two who starts the race, and almost everybody can get there within a reasonable amount of time, like a half an hour or so. So it doesn't take all day to serve people water and cheer them on at mile two of the marathon. It just takes a couple of hours. And what fun it is to see their determined and fresh faces explode by us as we cheer them on. And to hold out water and to watch it fly everywhere as they try to grab a cup at full speed. And as they generally take this wonderful water, which we've poured so carefully for them, and dump it on their heads instead of drink it. You know, I, I, most of you know I've been you know, on a process trying to strengthen my body, lose some weight, whatever. I, for me to run two miles, three miles, it's a really big deal. I feel really... Uh, it's hard for me to do that. Some of you are runners. I envy you. You're the kind of people who, you know, you go out an eight-mile run and you're just kind of warming up. You feel good about life. Eight miles and you will be visiting me in the ICU. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be needing to see an orthopedist. You know, I could just go on. I'm not a runner. I mean, in, in, in elementary school, skinny little Greg, the boy, plenty of energy, whatever. I mean, a couple of miles, I was gone. That was, that was done. That was it. Running is not my thing. Long distance running. Can you imagine 26.2 miles? It, some of you have done it. It just, just blows me away to think about what it takes to do that. What kind of mindset does it take to run a marathon, to compete, and to finish? Oh, you'll like this too. Most of you cannot run a mile in under 10 minutes, I assure you. Most of you can't. Some of you can. Let's figure out what 260 minutes really amounts to. And then think about the fact that our front runners in the marathon consistently finish well under three hours. In other words, they're not running 10-minute miles. They're running real speeds here. They're running in 26 miles what I do for 200 yards. And the, the trick is that they still have to compete by the rules, don't they? You don't go from mile two to mile six. That's cheating. You don't uh, jump on the back of the truck and ride for a while or hitchhike with one of the motorcycle cops for a while. That's cheating. Runners have to run the course. They have to run it within the, the boundaries of the course. They have to run it within the rules of the race, which I suppose these days include not, not taking all kinds of drugs and so forth. They have to follow the rules and finish the course and get the prize. In Bible times, it was an olive wreath worn on the head. 
the victor's crown as it's described here. In modern terms, it might be in a big game, a big event, it might be an Acura and $100,000. It just depends on the marathon. But Paul wants us to learn something from this analogy. He wants us to think about it, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Then in verse 6, he says, The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Well, that implies that the farmer spoken of is not a landowner. The farmer spoken of is a sharecropper. And the farmer spoken of is leasing land. And the price of the land is a certain percentage or a certain amount of, of the crop goes back to the landowner. But he's pointing to the fact that the farmer who does his work right, the farmer who is diligent, the farmer who gets... Is my time up? Sorry. The farmer who gets um, his crops in on time and gets everything done, that farmer should be the first one paid. And I think we'd all agree with that. Should be the first to get a share of the crop because he's tilled the soil and scattered seed on it. He's prayed for the rains. He's done what he could to keep it weed-free and pest-free. He's done what he could do to keep the vermin out of the fields. And he's carefully harvested at a time when the grain and the other product is ripe. And now it's payday. Now it's time for things to go and to move forward. These are the three illustrations that are being used. The three things Paul points to to help people of the time understand, as he says in verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. I try to do that in my sermons, by the way. I try not to lead you always to the stated conclusion. Sometimes I try to leave the ending for you to come up with the conclusion. Try to lead you to that point and let you decide. But Paul says that's what I'm telling you. Pray for the Lord will give you insight. And then he goes on. Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David... Now, this is two things separated here in the English by commas. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Is that a normal thing? Is Jesus described as first fruits in Scripture? He is. Jesus' resurrection is a pivotal point for Christians. It's what tells us that his mission was successful. It's what tells us that in taking on humanity, he was victorious over sin and ultimately over death. This is critical. We understand from this cryptic line, Paul to be pointing to the divinity of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is the risen one He's also the anointed one. He's also many other things, but he is the risen one. And then, also, descended from David, having a human lineage as well. And he says, this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. 
Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, that is thought to be an early Christian hymn, one that would have been familiar to the audience that Paul is writing to. So be strong in the, God, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and in the things you've heard me say in this gospel. This gospel centers on the person of Christ, descended of David, yes, but descended of God also, resurrected, raised from the dead. Give this gospel in training to reliable people that it might be spread. And more importantly, remember these three things. Endure hardship like a good soldier. As a, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rule. Finally, the hardworking farmer should be the first to, to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. I'm going to give you one insight into all of this. And I'm going to send you home to pray the Spirit give you other insights. But in each of these cases, we are talking about focus. The first focus is that of a soldier. Chain of command. Who is he accountable to? And who does he seek to please? The soldier understands where the orders come from. The soldier executes the orders. The soldier pleases his commanding officer by doing what the soldier is told to do. And enduring all that comes to him in the process of carrying out those commands. We are metaphorically soldiers in God's army. He's given us an order and he expects us to carry it out and to endure in the process, does he not? What is the order? It's a very simple one. To share this gospel that Paul is talking about. A gospel of a God who became flesh and dwelt among us and a God who was victorious over sin and death, raised again the third day. A God who sits at the right hand of the Father, God of Jesus Christ. Second point, focus. An athlete trains. An athlete beats his body, disciplines himself, he puts forth tremendous effort, or she does, to build endurance in the body and to be able to accomplish the incredible task set before. Think about it. Who of us can jump 24 feet after running down a track? Who of us can hit a horse or whatever, the, a vault horse thing or whatever they're called, and go up and do a three and a half flips with a double twist and land on their feet? 
You've got to be a cat to do that, not a person. Who of us has the strength and the wrists to hang on to a bar and go round and round and round on that bar? I, you know, what these people do in focus and training is amazing. They compete within the rules of their game, and when they receive the crown, they've received their reward, haven't they? The soldier receives the reward of the commander's approval. The athlete receives the crown. And the soldier, I mean, excuse me, and the sharecropper receives the first of the harvest. The bounty that comes. The blessings and the benefits. It's a focus that takes endurance and it takes faith. In the heat, walking behind a plow with oxen, tilling hard soil, breaking it up bit by bit, planting seed, knowing that pest and bird alike will take its share, waiting for things to grow with the rains, hoping that the heat doesn't scorch the young plants and that the root systems will go deep enough taking a share of those crops, it's not an overnight thing. It takes endurance. It takes time. It takes planting a seed and waiting for a harvest. And Paul says, when all is said and done, I want you to just pray and think about these things because it's why I'm in chains. It's why I endure what I endure. It's why I do what I have to do. It's because there is a gospel, which means good news about a God who loves us in such a way that he is self-sacrificing in his love. Gives us the person of Jesus Christ in self-sacrificing love. This person of Jesus Christ lives with us, teaches us, endures great suffering, dies for us, is resurrected for us, ministers to us, and will come back for us again. And we have this straight-up joy, this pure pleasure, this gospel. And the counsel given is to endure. November 4, Big day. Santa Clarita Marathon last week. For the 200 or 350 athletes who did it, big day. Veterans Day this coming Tuesday. Very symbolic of a lot of endurance. And now we come to the Christian walk, which is today and every day. It's today, and it's always. And the exhortation is, endure.